The Collaborating Conversation podcast is for avid book readers, book lovers, and authors. Listen to this podcast as we talk more about the art of writing, stories behind books, and the hands that created them. So stay tuned and enjoy our show. Welcome to the Collaborating Conversations podcast. Today's episode is The Fall of Galactic Civilizations in Sci-Fi. Well, uh, so it's one of those things that, so this is one of those interesting things with galactic ending stuff. Do you guys feel the depression of when you finish a book series that it's kind of like just sad? You feel just sad? Like the postpartum of all these people are gone, the stories are gone. Like, yes, I can read it again, but I don't know. It's like this, the wave of emotion of when it ends, it just, it's depressing, I guess. At least for me, it is. I always but they to- say all things must come to an end. Yeah, I think. I think for me, and maybe it's just because I, I have a different mindset when I'm reading a book. So like right now I'm reading a book series called um, Ancillary uh, Ancillary Justice, or I just finished Ancillary Justice and I'm starting um, uh, a new book called Ancillary Mercy. Um, it's, a, it's a series by Anne Leckie. Very good. Uh, it was recommended to me by my, uh, my VP at work. Uh, he's a big sci-fi person and uh, I've been reading it. And it's like, it's really good. It kind of deals with like, it, it deals with um, these things called ancillaries, which are essentially human corpses that are um, repurposed into artificial intelligence conduits is the best example, I think, how to explain what they are. Because basically, like, for example, you have a ship uh, and a ship like is Ascension AI. <clears throat> and that ship will have ancillaries that are, you know, also controlled by the ship that allow the ship to do different things, you know, and they have a connection to the ship, even, you know, like it can send like a whole group of ancillaries down to the planet. Right. Uh, and they are extensions of the AI. Um, but they don't have like individual consciousness or personalities. They're literally just, they're like, they're just shells for the AI, uh, but they, they, they look and function like living human beings. They eat, you know, they sleep, um you know but they are they are literally just living corpses for the ais uh so it's a very interesting concept um but uh it's you know i when i read when i read books like i what was it when i finished huh what was that series called uh the book is called ancillary justice the series is called um maybe just ancillary i'm not sure uh, but the the books are Ancillary Justice, Ancillary Sword, Ancillary Mercy, and I think they just came out with a new one. Um, nice. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Well, when I read when I read a series, at least for me um, as an author, when I finish a series, I'm actually I actually like to finish a series because then I can kind of meditate it, meditate on it, and think through like what you know, what are things that I can take away from that series or interesting concepts that they used what went that can well, make me a better writer, right? Like, and so for me, like just finishing a series, you know, it's nice to see like the culmination of a series and, you know, it is sad to see it end, but it's, I would say like, I like to, I like to finish a series and then just see how they told that story, see how it went from end to end and then learn from it, you know, from my own writing. Yeah, that's a, that's a much probably better approach. I just get like uber depressed and just like sad because uh, I just didn't. I just get so in depth in the story because at least when I read a book or a science fiction thing, I see the entire story in my mind, and you know, I I, I see it like a music video or like a, a the I see the whole thing or the movie in my head, and then it's just this 
the character goes away. But I also, so this is completely off topic, but and maybe we'll need to cut it out. But I think it's interesting social con- dis- of when you hang out with people. I noticed that when I le- like after you know when we've done one of our trips to Tahoe or something like that. I'm always extremely like kind of de- in that same depressive, sad state of, oh, the, the, that's over now where most people are like, oh, I need to get home and recharge. I'm the exact opposite where I've just, I get, when that ends, I get drained from the ending, from an ending, not from the actual thing. So I find that just very interesting from a psychological perspective, how different people, you know, different people function, how different people need, you know, the introvert, extrovert type thing. Um, what about you, Max? I'm a bit lost right now. Oh, I completely changed the subject to basically of how do we, um, we were, I don't know how we got on the topic where we were discussing, oh, we were discussing the ending of books and how we react to the ending of books. And then I was correlating that with the ending of like social time or like going out and doing social group things and how that also. Yeah, like I've never, I think there's been maybe like two occasions where I felt like I was disappointed in the, in an ending because I guess I really got into it. Um, but for me, I look at it in the sense of like, I'm exploring something, right? I, I don't know what I'm about to read and whatever it is, I just have to sort of take it, take it as is because that was the intention of the author. Uh, now, whether or not it makes sense, I agree or disagree with it, that's another thing. Um, but yeah, like it's never really, I mean, minus, I guess, those two occasions, which I can't remember which book it was. Um, but yeah, like it's never, it was like, oh, that's an interesting ending. Right. I wouldn't have necessarily done that. But yeah, I've never really been like disappointed per se. You know, or synonymous. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> I was First name legend, last I was gonna say I think that's that's fascinating because I know there's one book that I was extremely disappointed. Um it, it was limitless. It was uh based off the movie. And I will say that's the first time that I've concurred that the movie was better than the book. The movie was extremely better than the book. Um, Usually that doesn't happen. But I think we're talking, Max, we're talking more about not necessarily the how the ending makes us feel, but how. Well, okay, we are talking about how the ending makes us feel, not how to take away from the book. Right. Well, I guess Emmanuel kind of has a takeaway. I just kind of have a because I'm not trying to write a story. I think afterwards I'll say, oh, that was some good. You know, I like this trope or I didn't like this, like the expanse. I like the building. I like the characters, how you're you're hearing what's going on in their heads you know what's happening that was that's what i also liked about ender's game where i didn't like the movie because you didn't know what was happening you didn't know why the characters were doing something at least in the book you knew why and i think that character development and stuff you know but for me i kind of emotionally connect to the character and so when those characters when the story's over it it just makes me sad that the story's over and that the for me it just kind of that ending not just draining is not the right word to take to say from it but it just it makes me feel sad and like I'm, I enjoyed the journey, but I'm disappointed it's over. But I also, I think this is one of those things where for me, you know, uh, hot take we might need to cut later is with religious beliefs, um, you know, living forever type of thing. That's one of those things where that side just comes out where like, Oh, I, I don't want to live, like live forever here on this plane, but deep down, I don't want to ever leave my friends or, you know, not hang out with people but that's also just my super social side of if i could hang out with friends all the time and always hang out and just if i could figure out a job where i'm basically paid to be friends with people that would be the best <laughs> you know yeah you know it's interesting like i think i think a lot of authors don't actually know how to end a book or a series 
And, and I think the reason I say that is because there's two there's two ways you can essentially write a book. So there's the leaving leaving the ending open with the expectation that you're going to have a sequel, which I think a lot of authors do because a lot of authors are trying to like build a series. A lot of authors are trying to like, you know, and so like the ending leaves you unfulfilled and unhappy, unsatisfied because it's intended to make you buy the next book. And then the other flip side is, you know, the ending completes the story. Right. Like it, it wraps everything up. It ties it in a bow. It gives you a satisfying ending. Right. And then you might have a teaser or something that hints at the possibility of something new, but not not necessarily. Right. And I know for le- at least me as a writer, like I've ascribed to the second philosophy of just like this is a complete story. This is the end of the book. And then I might have a teaser, you know, where, you know, like, for example, like with Elevator Quests, like I only ever intended to write Elevator Quests as a standalone novel. I had no plans and I have no, pl- and I have no plans for a sequel, but you know, I left, I left, I left it open at like the end for like, uh, you know, um, like, uh, uh, um, not left it open for a sequel, but like left it open to like force the, the people to think, you know, it's like, Oh, what happens next? Right. You know? And, and I remember, uh, like Alondra and others would, were, were, was like, Hey, when is the sequel? And I was just like, I'm, I'm not planning to write a sequel. I'm like, I'm not, I, I, that was a one book story. And they're just like, well, what happens with that? And I was just like, oh, it's up for your imagination, right? Like, you know, you know, and, and I, and I, and I, and I firmly believe, cause you know, it's like, you shouldn't write a book from the perspective of you intend, you intend for it to continue. And so you're going to leave it open completely and not complete the story. Right. Like, I don't think that's, I don't think that's a good way to write. Well, I think personally. it depends on the it depends on the book, right? Because I think the expanse you couldn't fit that all into one book, right? But every but actually the expanse does this very well. Every book in the expanse is a complete story that tells the story in that novel. Oh, okay, and it, it's part of a broader narrative of series of books. But you could pick up and read any expanse novel and have a nice fulfilling story because you know and without having to read any of the other books to understand what's happening in that book. And that's and that, and and I think that's the right way to write it, right? Like mm. you should write your books from the perspective of anyone can pick up any novel in your series, read that one book, and be satisfied, right? Um, you may not get the Easter eggs or the the cameos of characters from earlier books, but those are really like little nuggets for people who've been reading the series, right? Mm. Uh, and I think that type of that type of stuff is good. Um, and so I think the Expanse actually does that really well, where you don't. You know, if you read from book one to book nine and even all the little side quests and the side books in between, you know, you understand the full overarching story of the ring builders, the humanity and, you know, what, you know, what defeated the ring builders. But you don't you can just read book one. And it's a really cool little interesting detective story, you know, about like this monster and being that gets woken up at the end of the story. And it's like, oh, it's going to, you know, and so it's like, you you know, you can can just read book one. And you could just, you know, it's just like, you know, because book one's a very different book from book two, right? You know, and maybe you'd like the the narrative style of book one with it being more like of a detective story and stuff like that, but you don't like the narrative of book two, right? Like, because it's a completely different type of book. Um, and so I think, like, I, I think that type of, and I know for at least for like the Founder series for me, like I intend the Founder series to be a multi a multi-book series that lasts for a long time. But every single book is a standalone novel, right? Like it's okay. intended to be a standalone novel, um, you know. And, and so, you know, I think um, I think there are ways to do that that allow you to build like an overarching narrative 
but don't require you to leave the the reader with an unfulfilled ending to the book. Well, and I think that's maybe where there's some terminology that maybe I wasn't using correctly, where I wasn't saying to have an unfulfilled story, because that's not at least when I have that sadness. It's not that the story is unfulfilled. It's from the it's over. But yeah, I guess there's a difference in how books are ended in terms of, like you're saying, kind of close that loop. It's the parentheses within the parentheses, right, where you have the book within a book where you have a book but it's also within the book that book tells its own story but it's also a part of a broader story um and i think that's the correct way of doing it i mean obviously i'm not a writer i haven't written anything like that but i also think that that's from a reader's standpoint i like i do like the easter eggs and i do like knowing like oh there's more to this story you know that's what i'm saying when when i finished the first expanse like i couldn't wait for the second one because it was a good story i but it did, i'm trying to remember because it's been a while since i've read the first book it did kind of indicate that there was more to the story, right? Like it ended, it com- you you saved everyone from Sirius Station or exactly, I forget exactly how it ended, but you, you stopped it. Oh yeah, you threw it into Venus where like there's still kind of a, you could tell that the story could continue, right? Even though it was bookended in that book, there was still more to the story overall. Yeah, but I think I think the thing that, the thing that's specific about that book is that it actually ended, right? So it's like, you know, like, Oh, the disaster's averted. Like it, you know, it went into Venus and it crashed there. And like, if you never picked up book two, like you could say like, oh, they defeated it. Everything's better now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even though we know like the story continues because it, you know, it builds. Well, wasn't, wasn't there a hangover or not a hangover, a cliffhanger, not a cliffhanger ending, but there was, you could still tell that there was more to the story, right? Like it was ended in that cliffhanger, but not. that book was closed. But like you said, I guess you open it up for more. Um, I found that interesting because I actually couldn't complete uh, Elevator Quest because you kept killing everybody off. <laughs> so what kind of D&D campaign is this where everybody dies? Clearly, you've never played enough D&D campaigns. I've tried. I think we played one together at some point. I just couldn't get into it. Because a, a true D&D campaign does kill off their characters because people end up re-rolling or, you know, the character dies um, and they come back as another character. Yeah. Clearly, I've not played enough. Uh, well, this is completely off topic of the galactic uh, civilizations, but I think it's an interesting discussion into science fiction and how that can play into it. Because I think that from a galactic standpoint, that is a bigger, broader story where it might not just be within one book, right? That would be maybe the Easter eggs. Because as you were saying, at least in the Expanse, how the Expanse did it, it was, I don't think it was, all that story was through one book, was it? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm looking at, I'm, like, I'm actually looking at the end of um, Leviathan Wakes because I have the books, the physical books too. What? And who, it, does, who does audio and physical? What? Yeah. So like the book ends the book ends like with the with the end, you know, with them with arrows crashing in the it was Aero Station. Aero Station. Uh, yeah. So the the arrows crashing in the Venus, like the book ends and like the team is like happy that they won. But then the epilogue kind of opens the door to like um opens the door to like book two. And, and I think that's the way to do it, right? Because the episode is the the epilogue is the after story, you know? And so if you look at the epilogues at all my books, the epilogue set up, you know, the future, but the story actually ends um, in, in the final chapter. And so that's what they, that's what they did in the, at least in book one, um, which I think is the right way to do it. Yeah. I guess I've always just thought of the epilogue is still part of the book, right? Even though it says epilogue, it's still, you wouldn't be reading yeah, the if you hadn't completed the book, if that makes any sense. Yeah, the hard and fast rule of an epilogue is that it's supposed to be 
a post narrative story that takes the perspective of a different character. Um, and so it's supposed to like be a break away from the main character to be another character kind of telling uh, either like another story or something that kind of like, you know, adds something to the story or opens up the door for something else. Like, you know, the only rule is that it's typically from a different character's perspective when um, it comes to it. That's interesting. I don't think I've paid attention. I guess I've always just, I guess it depends on the epilogue if it's either a narrator saying it or if it is from a different character. And I don't remember how the expanse does that. So like in the expanse, for example, it's Fred Johnson. I was just looking at it. So Fred Johnson is the character perspective yeah. uh, for the end of book one. Looking for an exciting space adventure book, a romantic young adult story, and a fantastic sci-fi read? Get The Fondra by award-winning author Emmanuel M. Ariaga today and prepare to feed your imagination with never-ending thrill ride. Um, and so, um, but yeah, getting to the top, getting back to the topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, one thing that I find interesting about the fall of galactic civilizations is, um, how, how it plays into the characters defining narrative in the story. So like we know with like Mass Effect, for example, the thing that made, the thing that made Commander Shepard unique, the thing that made Com Commander Shepard you know, special was that he gets exposed to ancient technology that gives him a vision of what's to come, right? And that like gives command or him or him or her, depending on who you what, what you select, that gives the defining, you know, that gives the motivation for Shepard, uh, at least through the first game of just like, you know, hey, I saw a vision of the end, like, what is this? What's going on? Like, I need to stop this. Right. And so like, you know, and in, in that example, it, you know, it becomes the thing that drives the character to, to stop whatever's going to happen that destroyed, you know, the ancients. Right. And the same thing for, um, you know, for, uh, we haven't talked about the Babaverse a lot. Let's maybe let's jump into talking about the Babaverse. Cause I think it's very interesting, um, with, uh, you know, they they have like a nuclear holocaust right like uh this is after after um is it a, i think it's after bob wakes up and becomes a ship like the so in the first so a brief summary in the first in the first uh book he becomes a replicant um he woke wakes up in a theocracy uh so like the united states is not what it is um and after reading the book of multiple times as i just actually finished reading books 1 through 4 probably two or three weeks ago the fear of a theocracy is becoming is way too close to reality for me <laughs> side tangent there but that's he wakes up in that and then once he leaves that's kind of starting the war as there's a payload on him to self-destruct there's some kill code sent to his commands or through uh excuse me through what's it called um, through direct line of sight communications. So he has to build his own firewall. He has to build a sandbox, Bob. Like he does all this stuff in the first book on his, on his, uh, rabbit yeah. Epsilon Ridney. And then, yeah, he goes there and then eventually he wipes, comes back to find out that earth wiped itself out. Um, that was the start of the war. Nukes went flying 
and then um, what's left of Brazil is dropping asteroids on the Earth, which I find that that's a side side step. how the Expanse, the Bobaverse, and other science fictions have actually used the gravity well as a weapon in and of itself. And I think that's a very interesting tactic of all you need to destroy Earth is just throw a couple massive rocks on it and gravity do its thing, you bye-bye. Um, I mean, it's the most devastating, right? Like, if you think about planetary bodies, like, you know, an asteroid the size, you know, of a small moon, right? Or, or, or not even like half the size of a small moon, right? Like that will destroy Earth, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, it, and it's not like you have to go like create one of those weapons, right? Like those things are just out there. So you just kind of have to figure out how to make its trajectory, you know, Earth focused. <laughs> not hit the blue ball that we call home. Yeah, but yeah, the Bobaverse is very interesting because I wouldn't call the Bobaverse Galactic Fall yet because we haven't really. Uh, book four, I think, was too focused on another uh, species per se, but the Bobaverse is in the process of going galactic. So I think so, this is. I think one aspect is the um, uh, is the uh, I forget the name of the species, but the uh, the others the species that was eating the other species. Yeah, the the others. Yeah, the others. Because I think truly like. There is aspects of that, like when they would go to a planet, right? And it, and the planet was just like everything was barren, right? Like yeah. it was just like the planet, um, you know, everything was kind of, you know, the way it was, right? And then you discover later on that, oh, the reason everything was so preserved was because they just sent a ton of, uh, what was it? Um, gamma radiation, I gamma, think. Gamma radiation, yeah. They just sent a ton of radiation to the planet. You know, they had a weapon that basically just... Well, their death has nuked all life on the planet, but left everything else intact. Well, <laughs> right? It killed all life, but it, it leaves life intact because so that's the interesting thing about decay and interesting thing about biology is you actually need life form to uh, decay to decay life. Right. Yeah. You need living organisms yeah. to. Uh, and so this is a tangent, but a very good book if anyone's interested in the history of forensics from uh, medical forensics and uh <laughs> forensics of crime scenes is no stone unturned it's actually the history of how they developed the forensics method and how they actually placed bodies in shallow graves and did certain things to see how wildlife and how that process happened so tangent but that's why that didn't happen in the Bobaverse because there's no life left to destroy it and then they used all that protein for food because food but yeah but they were from what the Bobaverse discovered they were only about 100 light years out total we don't know their true expanse or how far they are, but that's not, would that be a galactic level threat? Even if it's not, uh, not fully galactic. Well, like, I mean, they it, were right. Like they were going from solar system to solar system harvesting, right? Like, yeah, but they, yeah. they were only their home planet. Wasn't very far from earth. I think again, everything was within a few hundred light years, but you know, at some point, like, uh, you know, the, the reason, the only reason they were defeated was because they were fighting something that was unaffected by their weapons, right? Like, you know, I, I yeah. think it, because they weren't fighting humanoids, they weren't fighting living creatures, right? They were fighting a, a very powerful AI, you know, uh, and, and so, you know, in a sense, if, if Bob and, you know, his advancements had not existed, you know, those aliens would have eventually wiped out humanity and, and everyone else, right? Because they... You know, they would have eventually gotten around to, you know, discovering their system, needing the food and killing them and taking them back to, you know, continue to expand their growing, yeah, um, you know, uh, Dyson Sphere civilization, right? You know, and so it's like... Um, well, it's interesting that a lot of science fiction, a lot of this, a lot of the ancients or the 
beginning stuff is benevolent, right? Or we interpret it in benevolent. Because in the Bible verse, yeah, that would not be a benevolent, benevolent uh, not dictator, but owner of the galaxy or whatever, right? Uh, and that's the same. Isn't that the same in um, same with the Mass Effect issue? Is like the, st- the ancient stuff does makes things bad, or I forget exactly the full story. I just know there's a bunch of like gory alien looking things that come eventually down. You have to fight them. Uh, so there's, so there's, there is this galactic civilization in Mass Effect and they're called the, um, they begin with a J. They're the, um, they're, they're, they're the species, the first species I think that tried and almost succeeded in defeating the Reavers. Um, uh, well, the Reavers are the ones that are looking all funky, right? Like more like zombie like. No, well, they create zombies. So the Reavers are just super advanced AIs. Okay. That have, um, that are, uh, that use organic matter to build new AIs. So they, they, um, it's weird. So they, they have, uh, each, each Reaver ship, um, is created from the harvested, uh, the harvested species of an entire civilization. Okay. So like, uh, you know, like humanity, like when they, when they started abducting human humans, um, uh, they actually liquefied them and they started like using the liquefied humans to start building another reaver. And w- w- towards the end of the book, you actually face the human reaver, like the, re- the reaver ship that was being built from humans. Um, you know, you, it's not completed, but so you fight it and it's like partially completed state. But like that was the future. Wait, that was the, that was going to happen to humanity. They were going to become a reaver. You know. Um, you just said the book is Mass Effect a book before the video game? Uh video game. They have books, but okay. it's sorry, I was just clear wanting clarification. Yeah. Um, there was another. There was another series that actually came to mind um, when we were talking about it. It's the um, Starcraft. So the um, the Zelnaga. Um, Sounds familiar, but I'm not following. I Starcraft. So, so, so Starcraft. That was another ancient species. So, like the Zelnaga um, created the Zerg and the Protoss. Oh. Um, and so they were an ancient species, and you discover a lot of Zelnaga technology um, in the uh, throughout the games and the in the books. Um, but the Zelnaga were like the super advanced species, and they they ended up. You know, there's kind of like a there's kind of like an apocalyptic story for them right i think the you know because that's one of the underlying questions like what happened to the zonaga you know and it was just like oh well the zonaga were you know wiped out by the zerg but it wasn't the whole truth you know it, it was um and it's revealed i think in the starcraft 3 the starcraft 3 series of games you know um you know that they had like a corrupted zonaga that you know um you know had had created the zerg and you know was basically bringing an end to the Zonaga, you know, species. Um, Interesting. I was not aware of that. I've played StarCraft, but I don't think I forgot really a lot of the lore. Also, side note, tangent, if you have Prime, you can get StarCraft rem- Starcraft 1 remastered for free. Uh, Just play StarCraft 3 or StarCraft 2. I don't know why I keep saying 3. It's StarCraft 2. If you can get a free copy of the original remastered, go for it. <laughs> just saying everybody should get a free copy if they got prime they're already paying for it yeah but i think i think it's um yeah that that was so that was another one the zonaga um trying to think other other um well it wasn't it wasn't exactly i don't think it was galactic but something came to mind was firefly right because they kind of had the weird space zombies 
from that one planet, but I don't think that was Galactic Annihilation or something, right? Oh, that just reminded me. A good one. A good one was um, the Kevin Sorbo series. I don't know which one. Um, it was uh, Andromeda. Oh yes, I liked the concept of Andromeda. I never got to watch all the episodes. So I watched all of Andromeda. I watched most of it, or I watched half of it when I was younger, and then the rest of it through the internet when I got older. Because <laughs> I was just like, "What happened to Andromeda?" And I ended up watching all of it. But it was it was very interesting because that's that's of a perfect example, right? Like in Andromeda, like that defining moment in like the battle or when the um that one species who was an ally to the humans betrayed them and like started going on the offensive like that turning point in that you know in that galactics you know because it was like a galactic uh you know collection of species that you know part of this uh um uh part of the systems commonwealth i think was what it was called and they uh you know um the ship gets stuck in a black hole in the in the uh, event horizons of a black hole and then like Hundreds of years later, like it ends up getting towed out of, you know, like a salvage ship, like tows it out of the, uh, you know, the thing to try to salvage the ship because it's like this ancient, you know, systems commonwealth warship. And, oh, uh, you know, about that. Like, and then, you know, Dylan Hunt, who's the captain, you know, like realizes that like the whole systems commonwealth fall, Earth is in ruins, like, you know, humanity is nothing, you know, uh, they've been, you know, their fringes of humanity are like struggling to survive. And it's just like this perfect fall of like this, this galactic, you know, this galactic alliance, you know, that had established like peace and, you know, order in the galaxy. And then like hundreds of year later, years later, it's just completely wiped out and gone. And like the, gal- and the galaxy has fallen into like disarray and like, you know, it's just chaos everywhere. You know, like the whole over- overarching narrative, like the the Andromeda series is like, you know, Dylan's like idealistic, you know, he wants to restore and rebuild the systems Commonwealth, you know, uh, and it's just an interesting, um, well, he didn't realize like how bad some of the things were in the Commonwealth, but how he also sees how bad, like bad it is now. Cause half the things just aren't working. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's like, you know, if we, if we were to fast forward and maybe this is a, a good note to kind of end on, it's like, if we were to fast forward 200 years into the future, right. Like, you know, like at a defining moment in our lives as a species, like, you know, does humanity go and explore the stars or do we wipe ourselves out of existence? Right. Like, do we nuke ourselves, you know, in the next 10 years uh, or do we persist and develop, you know, unity and come together and, you know, expand, expand into the stars and, and start to build our own galactic empire. Right. And it's just like the defining moments of deciding whether or not that happens is like, the next few few decades right like (laughs) you know it's like are we gonna wipe ourselves out by one way or another or are we going to like find a way to come together and you know for the good of our species you know try to expand outreach for the stars and and do something great right uh and it's like that defining moment you know you know and every single one of these sci-fis like i think it's like a you know, in many ways, like, you know, authors are trying to tell something, you know, tr- trying to warn or, or or share a viewpoint, you know, from their own experience. And I think you hinted at this earlier, uh, where it's like, you know, you know, what's the what's the story they're trying to tell? It's like, yeah, you know, we had this great and powerful civilization, and then it fell, right? It's like, you know, like every, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're past the times of nations falling. Now we're at 
you know, wiping out our planet, right? Um, you know, it's like, because the next apocalypse, the next apocalypse that happens on Earth isn't just going to be the fall of the Roman Empire or the fall of the Greek Empire. It's going to be the fall of all civilization on the planet, right? And, and, and you know, because it's so easy for us to do that now. It's so easy for us to destroy the entire world, right? Um, and I think that's like the, that's the, the warning that I think we have in sci-fi, right? Because if you look at all these galactic spanning civilizations, like they're so powerful, they're so advanced. And then, you know, the powers and advancements they have leads to threats that can wipe out their entire existence, right? Um, and, and it's just an interesting, it's just an interesting takeaway because it kind of shows that, you know, you know, no matter how advanced or, or, or great your galactic empire is, it's still fragile in some way. Well, and I think that's one of those things with humanity, right? We we like to think we're beyond stuff, but if you look how things are, everything's super fragile, right? I jo- commonly joke around how everything's held together by shoestrings and bubblegum, and I don't mean just the threat of nukes and all that other stuff, but the fact that, like, oh, the world actually doesn't fall apart on a daily basis, Um because sometimes I'm surprised just the way with my what I did for work and other stuff like didn't actually see that happening. But I think it's also one of those things where that that hope and that's where a lot of science fiction comes from is we have that hope of wanting to make human humanity better and making like that's where, you know, Elon Musk wants to get us on Mars. So we have that backup plan. I don't know if that's the best way to do it, but hey, like more power to him. He's trying to do something good on him, you know, versus, you know, but I think we also want that hope of wanting something uh, wanting something special or wanting something different, or we want to see humanity succeed on that massive level, right? We want to see, and I think that's the thing. It's it's a warning, but it's also hope, right? Like, what do we love about science fiction? We love the 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 stories. We love how how everything is and how cool um how cool the universe has potential to be and how everything has potential to be either fantastic or amazing. And we have to try to be fantastic and try not to be, or make try to make it fantastic or try not to get us all killed. <laughs> yeah. What's everyone's uh, thing of the week? I can go first, I guess. Yeah, I think you're. <laughs> uh, so my thing of the week is that I won that award. Uh <laughs> Uh, but unrelated to that, I would say my thing of the week is actually the the book I just finished that I mentioned earlier, Insular Justice. It's a really good book. Um, I think it's a, a really interesting take on um, just uh, you know what it means to be what it means to be um, human. You know, because like an ancillary, for example, is not considered human, but you know, you know. Uh, anyway, it's just it's just very interesting like without to give a lot of away it's just a very interesting take on artificial intelligence and the the blurring the lines between artificial intelligence and and you know what it means to be human you know when you as a ship can control the the living corpses of 50 people right like you know and if your ship is destroyed like you as the ship can continue to exist in those people right uh and so it's like you know uh so are you human you know <laughs> or are you are you an ai you know in the in the form of a human right and so it's just it's an interesting thought um you know and then the you know the uh the morality of it all um but yeah it's it's a good it's a good book series so that that would be my interesting thing of the week my week was pretty tame so i don't think i have anything super interesting unfortunately nothing's coming to mind interesting month <laughs> interesting thing of the uh month. I, it's been kind of meh um 
Steam Deck got repaired with better, like, <laughs> better controller things, I guess. That's not super interesting, but I saw an LTT thing on it. Um, yeah, I don't have, I got nothing. I'm sorry. So we'll say Max's interesting thing of the week is that he discovered that you don't have to be uh, into sci-fi to be a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Definitions are changing. And I guess on that note, we'll call it a day. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Check out our podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts if you enjoy the show. For more books and inspiring stories from today's authors, please subscribe to our podcast.